The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Got it. <laughs> um, it's really nice to see, I'm here on, on a Thursday night. It's nice to see faces I haven't met before. I'm not usually here on Thursday night. I'm usually here on Tuesday, Thursday mornings, um, Sundays sometimes, sometimes Saturdays. <laughs> but uh, my name's Fusho, for those that I haven't met, and I'm an assistant teacher here at the Village Zendo. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming, and I think we're going to have a little tea after I hear as well. Is that tonight for newcomers? Yeah, okay. Well, we'll have one, yeah, we'll have a tea if you want. Um, I want to say Happy New Year. You can still say that for a long time in, in January, right? And for me, I know it's a, I don't know, I, and everybody, a lot of people I know, it's a relief, even if it's just a, an imaginary date that we set in our mind that still feels like it can be a new start, <laughs> which I know I need. Um, we, a lot of us, not all of us, a lot of us are, are um, just back from our year-end retreat uh, that we had up at Garrison. And so that's always a nice retreat, um, kind of a way to be together and, and just tune out, unplug a little bit, try to reset and settle at the end of the year. Um, alone, but together, you know, in some silence, which these days it's just feeling harder and harder to find silence, I've found. Um, the retreat for me felt like a really important time because as we've been hearing in a lot of the talks, but also for everywhere we look, um, the world feels pretty crazy and uh, it can be very overwhelming. Um, everywhere we look, it feels like there's a crisis, uh, obviously on a global scale and then locally, it, it can feel that way and in our own lives, I know. A lot of us have had a lot of different challenges over the last few years. So this felt like an intense time for people came with that kind of, I don't know, intention to really focus and, and sit with ourselves and um, try to let go of some of that and create some space and see what, what came up and what we, what we found out. Um, as far as, you know, social media for me and then 24-hour news and everywhere we look, I can feel a little bit like how, how are we going to survive? Not to be too pessimistic, but um, the way the world is heating up and the way we've sort of all taken sides. If, if, if we didn't know better, you would think it was one side against the other side everywhere we look. And it's enough to feel like, you know, how will I survive? How will we survive? I can just sort of feel that coming up a lot. And um, 
it was hectic for me because I went from uh, literally the deathbed of my mother-in-law um, with my husband and his family in Denver to just a couple of days back here and then up to retreat. And um, I had the opportunity and honor to help coordinate the retreat. So there was a whole bunch of planning, a whole bunch of organizing um, going on. Um, but it was a big group effort and I experienced firsthand the value of Sangha and community and our study, our study text, um, which is still available on the website if you haven't had a chance to check it out, is called Time Being. And we heard some beautiful talks about that um, from our teachers. It's a, a Dogen text. And if you're not familiar with it, uh, it can feel pretty challenging, I think. A lot of text in our tradition can feel pretty challenging, actually hard to get um, intellectually, a lot like our koans. Um, but we are encouraged to sort of read, read it without thinking too hard about it, set it down, and then just sit with it, and then go back to it, see what comes up without intellectualizing it, if we can. Easier said than done. Um, that text is about time and the fact that we ourselves are time. And I don't know if I was to sum it up. <laughs> I would say generally, it's not what we think it is. Time is a lot more than we realize most of the time. And it's also made me think about a koan that I consider to be one of the more challenging koans. So in our practice, we traditionally can work with something called koans, which are little... Um, verses or stories that have been passed down for thousands of years, carried on, and we sit with those and we work with those while we meditate and one-on-one -on -one with a teacher sometimes. And the koan that this study text reminded me of is Dashui's Aeonic Fire. And it comes up a couple times. Here's one translation of that koan. A monk asked Dasui, in the raging of Kalpa fire, teleocosms are together destroyed. I wonder if this is destroyed or not destroyed. Dasui, the teacher said, destroyed. And the monk asked, so if, if so, does everything go with it? And Dasui said, everything goes with it. The same monk later asked another teacher, different teacher, Ryusai, in the raging of Kalpa fire, chiliacosms are together destroyed. I wonder if it is destroyed or not destroyed. And this teacher, Ryusai, replied, not destroyed. The monk asked, why is it not destroyed? Ryusai replied, because it's the same as the chiliacosms. So in Buddhist terminology, a kalpa is a vast period of time. And the kalpa fire is a great conflagration that comes at the end of the kalpa, destroying everything. And traditionally, everything is destroyed. And then there follows a kalpa of emptiness. 
And then a universe arises again and exists for a kalpa until it is destroyed. And the chiliocosms are described in this manner. Mount Sumeru, which is at the center of the universe and is the dwelling place of the gods, along with its surrounding continents, the eight seas, and the ring of iron mountains, with heaven above and hell below from a small world, form a small world. And even though the universe with Mount Sumeru at its center is the dwelling place of the gods, along with its surrounding continents, the eight seas, and the ring of iron mountains with heaven above and hell below form a small world, even though the universe with Mount Sumeru at its center is so vast as to have no inside or outside. It is nonetheless one small world among many. That's how vast it is. And a thousand small worlds like this are said to form one little chiliocosm. And a thousand of these form a large chiliocosm, which consists of a billion small worlds. And the Kalpa fire destroys everything. So the monk asked, even when that happens, is this destroyed or not destroyed? And what is this? That's sort of the essential question of Zen <laughs> for all of us. The monk asked this question twice, and one teacher says, it's destroyed, and the other teacher says, it's not destroyed. So which is it? When the world ends, will it be destroyed? And what about me and us? So it could be, um, not to be too analytical, uh, the absolute, the everything, the, all of it as one whole that we are not separate from. But when we ask this question for ourselves, we might be able to say, when the world is on fire and ends, you know, burning blaze, or we run out of, you know, oxygen and the waters, the ice caps melt and the waters heat up and we can't survive. What will be destroyed? Has the world always been on fire? And how do I take care of myself in the midst of this, importantly? And as bodhisattvas, how do we help each other in the midst of this? And how can everything, including me, be both destroyed and not destroyed? So a lot of our koans ask us to hold more than two things that seem to be in opposition in our mind at one time. And we hear a lot about it in our liturgy, and we chant a lot about absolute and relative and emptiness and form. But the practice is always about asking ourselves how this relates to us in our daily lives and how can it help us in our daily lives. 
So from the Book of Equanimity, which was the translation of this koan, it was written by Gary Shishin Wick and Bernie Glassman. Uh, Wick says, as soon as we let go of our ideas that we are this small body, your life will become expansive and your words will reach to the farthest end of the chiliacism. But how do we do that? So there are a lot of places to get advice these days. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of places we can look for roadmaps. You know, if we're looking for how do we um, survive. I haven't found the roadmap uh, on Instagram or TikTok myself, but it doesn't mean it's not there. Um, even the New York Times, you know, there's lots of top 10 lists and ways and reasons. And our culture more and more, um, we definitely want to put people on a pedestal and have them tell us the answer. Um, we want these answers and we want to know. We want to know which way to feel, which way to think, what side to be on, and the right way versus the wrong way. But not a lot of those places help us with how to hold multiple truths in our minds at one time. Because our minds aren't really set up to do that. But our meditation practice, the practice of Zazen, does help us do that. And our practice encourages us to take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Um, one great place you could also look if you're not watching 24-hour cable news for a nice road map uh, is the Zen Peacemakers. Our Roshi Enkyo, our abbot and co-founder, helped co-found Zen Peacemakers. So, I mean, they are an organization that's very much um, the definition of engaged Buddhism, I would say. So the idea that we do need to take action in this world as it's on fire while it's burning at the same time as saving ourselves and saving others. And the mission statement of Zen Peacemakers um, is to realize our oneness and relieve suffering through con contemplative social action. And they have some guidelines that we could take a look at. The three treasures that they describe, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, um, are a way to recognize our place in the circle of life and to take refuge. So Buddha, the oneness of life, um, but also awakening, the awakening one within all of us. Dharma, the diversity of life, but also the way we learn, talk, explore, examine, read, um, continue tradition. And then Sangha, the interdependence of these two things, but also this right here, this community, each other, and how we engage and support each other. Those three things, those are some pillars 
that we can work with. And then we have tenants. And the three, three treasures um, include not knowing. So that's the first place that you're not going to find on the top 10 list. <laughs> the idea of not knowing, which we encounter and we work with and we sit in our meditation cushion, is not knowing. And it's a place to start by giving up fixed ideas about ourselves and the universe. We're encouraged to start there. Bearing witness to the joy and the suffering of the world. It's another tenet. And then taking action is the third. Um, Taking action that arises first from not knowing, second from bearing witness, listening to all of it, to ourselves and to others and to everything as it's happening, and then to take action. I think it's important that those two things come first. So how do we take action that arises from not knowing and bearing witness? Um, That's for us, you know, to experience. There's a lot of different ways um, as things arise and fall. We start to realize how we are not separate, how we are not alone, and how things arise and cease, cease together as one. I was really um, grateful to take part in a a little bit of a meditation action with the Buddhist Action Coalition a few weeks ago uh, in Union Square. And the, it was just an intention to sit um, with hopes for peace in Israel and Palestine. Um, so we sat together. We didn't... Uh, take a side. We didn't say what was right, who was right, who was wrong, any of that. We sat together hoping for peace, thinking about causes and conditions as deeply as we could that might have created these anger and suffering throughout time. Um, So a country being destroyed or not destroyed? What does this look like in our life? What were we like before the pandemic? And what are we like now? Destroyed? Not destroyed. Obviously, a lot of us were destroyed, didn't make it, literally. Am I the same person as I was before the pandemic? Nope. I'm also not the same person I was two years ago, two and a half years ago, before I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I was completely destroyed by that process. Um, Going through the treatment, coming out on the other side, I'm still here. Destroyed and not destroyed. You know, I mentioned I sat with my husband 
family. And we sat with his father first, literally on his deathbed in October for his last breath. And then went back in, you know, in December and sat with his mother for her last breath. And we gathered together to bear witness to their final breath. And I don't know what he would say about whether or not they still exist. But they do in very different forms, I think. They had a big life of 71 years together. They had four sons. And one of their sons had four sons. And one of their grandsons just had a daughter and a son. And we brought home some art and a lot of photos from their house items that had been collected over these years as a family together. And their life together was and is an inspiration. I'm wearing a, a ring um, from, from his mother. So she's still here with me in this sense, obviously a different form. And so in Dogen's time being, we read that each moment is all being and is the entire world. Reflect now whether any being or any world is left out of the present moment. He says wood becomes fire, fire becomes ash independently, and yet time is always flowing. So if I sit quietly and let my mind settle and just let go of one fixed idea just for a minute, acknowledge that that's a fixed idea and just see what else might be there. A little bit of space, a little bit of freedom can start to emerge. If I put my attention on my knees, for example, if they're in horrible pain, and I just allow myself to investigate what's going on there instead of have the same old reaction or instead of moving too fast, I might notice something different. I might have a different response. And my feeling about that pain might shift. If I focus on my breath, and I let everything go on the exhale, and I just wait to see what's gonna happen on the inhale. Things are gonna start differently and be fresh and new. So that exhale can be the end, and the inhale can be the very beginning. So what's been destroyed or not destroyed? Each inhale is a beginning. Alan Watts, a famous Zen poet, and teacher said, when you're dying and coming to life in each moment, would-be scientific predictions about what will happen after death are of little consequence. The whole glory of it is that we do not know. Ideas of survival and annihilation are alike based on the past, <clears throat> on memories of waking and sleeping, and in their different ways, the notions of everlasting continuity and everlasting nothingness are without meaning. So long as there's the feeling of an I having this experience, the moment is not all. Eternal life is realized when the last trace of difference between I and now has vanished, when there is just 
this now and nothing else. I was reading um, <clears throat> another poet, Clint Smith. He has a book of poetry that came out this year and it's quite beautiful. And he sums up this feeling a bit, a bit better, I think, than I could. He wrote a poem called All at Once. <clears throat> this is his experience of more than one thing being true at a time, um, coming directly from his life. The redwoods are on fire in California. A flood submerges a neighborhood that sat quiet on the coast for three centuries. A child takes their first steps and tumbles into a father's arms. Two people in New Orleans fall in love under an oak tree whose branches bend like sorrow. A forest of seeds are planted in new soil. A glacier melts into the ocean and the sea climbs closer to the land. A man comes home from war and holds his son for the first time. A man is killed by a drone that thinks his jug of water is a bomb. Your best friend relapses and isn't picking up the phone. Your son's teacher calls to say he stood up for another boy in class. A country below the equator ends a 20-year civil war. A soldier across the Atlantic fires the shot that begins another. The scientists find a vaccine that will save millions of people's lives. Your mother's cancer has returned and doctors say there's nothing else they can do. There is a funeral procession in the morning and a wedding in the afternoon. The river that gives us water to drink is the same one that might wash us away. The Buddhist Action Coalition signed at Union Square when we sat <clears throat> to end violence in Israel and Palestine said, let us sit deeply with the causes and conditions that lead to suffering, violence, and war, and cultivate the conditions that lead to justice, humanity, and nonviolence. Zen teacher Norman Fisher on this koan, Daisui's Ionic Fire, says, to practice Dharma is to have great confidence and great faith, not in a party leader, or a particular solution, but in the process of living and dying itself, in the hope that we will together go forth into some future, whatever it is, hugging and kissing. This will not be destroyed because this is always destroyed, moment after moment. So at the end of our retreat, um, after I had noticed we were all sitting so intently and we were all so aware of the world being on fire and our own personal challenges arising and falling with such intention and gently, I think, even in the silence, we, we relaxed and we were able to be sweet to each other. Could let our faces relax a little bit, 
The liturgy held us up, but we were finally done. We rang 108 bells. We started to chant the New Year's Durrani, and nobody could help really but dance a little bit. <laughs> finally, we could laugh and celebrate and clap and sing. And each of us got to ring the bell one at a time with our own New Year's resolution or whatever we wanted that to be going out into the universe. And I had a moment of stepping back and realizing this is how we will survive. <laughs>